Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Jane Adams Resource Corporation provides free manufacturing training in welding, computerized machining, and mechanical assembly. Each training program is integrated with support services, including financial literacy, employment coaching, and job placement assistance. Training is available in the Ravenswood, Austin, and Chatham neighborhoods of Chicago. All training sites are currently enrolling new applicants. Visit jane-adams.org to sign up for an application to learn more about how to start your new career today. That's jane-adams-a-d-d-a-m-s.org. Big problems become <laughs> big problems when you oh, let God. small problems sit. Remember that, Ben. I'm talking about you with that sidewalk. You better start shoveling. Let me tell you something. Now you're uh, it's a sore subject. I got up at the crack of dawn. I shoveled. It snow was so much of it. It was so heavy. <laughs> Sorry. My goodness. Crying. <laughs> crying. It's only snow. There's no crying and shoveling. <laughs> The show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and of course, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, February 2nd, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, two familiar friends, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson and Sergio Mims. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this News of the Normal Wednesday, and here's why. In the old days, the Reader had a column called News of the Weird. This news I'm about to run by you is so weird, but it's normal now because what's now, what was once weird is now normal. It's a new normal. Get it? So it's News of the Normal. First of all, let me just start with this the sign of the apocalypse is upon us for the last two plus hours. The uh, CTA stops uh, near my uh, home, my humble little attic, where I broadcast this uh, podcasting empire, has been blasting out, without apparent reason, the following message. You are under video surveillance. Police are on the way. You are under video surveillance. (laughs) Police are on the way. My, My wife was the first to hear it. At the crack of whatever time we got up, she goes, there's some sound in the background. And of course, I'm like, no, there's not. Oh, God. And then, of course, when I was shoveling the snow, I could hear it. It's just a sign, ladies and gentlemen, that society we know is breaking down. And then, literally, before I came on the air, like seconds before we came on the air, the sound ended. So, thank goodness for that. Do you think Joe Rogan has to worry about that, D? 
I mean, my, maybe. my competitor in this blogging game, blogging in this podcasting game, maybe. I, I know so, he would Joe. think it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Joe Rogan. Now everybody knows who Joe Rogan is. It's like everybody's weighing in on Joe Rogan. You know, isn't a funny thing? Back in the day, it was like a very select audience. Who Joe Rogan? Everybody knows who Joe Rogan. I love Spotify, man. I don't want a tangent with a tangent. Spotify's like, hmm, we just spent $100 million on this guy. Neil Young and Joni Mitchell want us to get rid of him. Uh, don't think that's going to happen. So they had to come up with some, concoct some, what, some document or uh, philosophy of life to explain that, yes, uh, they have given Joe Rogan a platform, but they are carefully monitoring what he says on that platform. All right. Let me just say this, folks. You all know this. Spotify is literally a giant bulletin board. And they're paying Joe Rogan $100 million to post whatever he wants on it because a lot of people love what Joe Rogan has to say. So Spotify is not about to clean it up, but they had to get out of the, you know, they had to come up with some face-saving way. Sort of like same thing Facebook went through, Twitter went through. They put the newspapers out of business. Newspapers have reporters. Newspapers have editors. Newspapers have standards. Like people have to at least confine to the basic essentials of the truth. Right now, Sarah Palin, this is beyond irony. Sarah Palin is in New York with a libel lawsuit against the New York Times claiming they violated all the standards of acceptable journalism. And this, she's like the leader, the standard bearer of the political movement that led to Trump that just makes stuff up as they go along. But they're holding like the old media, the legacy media, the fake liberal media to standards that they would never in a million years abide by. My dear friend Sam Holloway was listening right now. He goes, Ben, fascists don't care about inconsistencies. Fascists don't care if you call them hypocrites. They just want to win. Wise man, that's Sam Holloway. Uh, anyway, so I just think it's very funny that all of a sudden Spotify is concerned. You know, we're very good. They gave a hundred million dollars. This is a guy who gave a platform to Alex Jones. Uh, hello. This is what Joe Rogan does. You knew that when you gave him the platform. It's sort of like hiring a real lefty uh, columnist from the reader who's made his living blasting mayors uh, to be your talk show host and then tell them, uh, Ben, could you go a little easier on Mayor Rum? Kind of like that. Oh, that happened. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, that <laughs> happened to us. <laughs> go a little easier at Mayor Rom. I thought you were talking about someone else, but that happened to us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know that from. Okay, your Spotify CEO, Ben Jarosk. By the way, if you were the CEO, it'd be nothing but music from the 70s. But <laughs> let's just pretend Ben Jarosky, Spotify CEO. Uh, it's hilarious. Neil yeah. Young or Joe Rogan? Which one do Both. you pick? I'd say, I'd say, guys, we're a bulletin board. We don't make, we put anything out there. Like we gave a hundred million dollars to Joe Rogan because we knew his listeners loved what he was feeding them. You think we're going to stop feeding them what they love? What are you nuts? No, of course. It, it, Neil Young, you want to leave by. We gave Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars. They can give Neil Young a hundred million dollars. Just the world D Spotify is not in the business of checking facts. They're in the business of putting businesses out of business that check facts. I'm not, I'm not telling you something you don't know. Millennials, I'm, I hate to blame it on you, but this is your generation's thing. Facebook, Spotify, Twitter. So you're not a big Neil Young fan? I like Southern Man. I love Southern Man. And Hurricane. I love them. 
But see, I got the albums. <laughs> see, I mean, I mean, it's like I'm an old 70s hippie guy who smoked reefer. What do I need Spotify for? You know, I loved it when Neil Young took down Leonard Skinner. Come on, Skinner, bring it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're coming back at you. Millennials right now are shaking. What the heck is this guy talking about? Well, it's like Spotify was at a crossroads. Do we go with the future or the long, long past? <laughs> well, it's I mean, you know, there's a lot of people. I'm going to defend baby boomers. There's a lot of boomers <laughs> that listen to Neil Young. I don't be hating on Neil Young now. Can Joe Rogan play guitar, a stinging guitar like Neil Young? I don't think so. I stand correct. But the reality is this. They paid $100 million for Joey Rogan's audience. And they're not going to throw it away for Neil Young. By the way, how about Joe Rogan? I was a little disappointed in Joe Rogan. No, it was classic Joe Rogan. You know that, D. You've been following me a long time. His quote-unquote apology and pledge to do things better. Oh, yeah, yeah. He always gets in trouble. He goes... Joe Rogan, when he gets in trouble, the first thing he does is, why the fuck are you listening to me? I'm a fucking moron. Oh, okay, well, this isn't going on lumping. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold it. Now, how is that fair? Joe Rogan could say it. He gets $100 million. I say it. I don't get to go on lumping. Yeah. Joe Rogan's <laughs> not on lumping. Valid <laughs> point. Well put. Can't argue with any of that. So, yeah, my basic thing is, is that the whole system's out of order. <laughs> you know? So, but I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm really hoping that as a result of this, some journalism school graduates get a job. Follow me in this, D. Just like Facebook, man. Facebook would just post any old thing, just get hits and then sell ads off those hits. And then they would have, they would concoct this highfalutin, like uh, free market libertarian attitude to justify making all this money without any oversight. Well, we just believe in letting people say what they want. We don't try to dictate thoughts. We put it out there in the marketplace of ideas. Everybody's screaming and yelling. I'm, you're putting out all this untruth. People aren't taking a vaccine. Worse than that, they're calling for an insurrection. Overtake capital. Uh-oh, we better do something. So they hire a bunch of fact checkers. So some journalist grad, journalism grad, gets a job. Finally, you put how many journalists out of business, Facebook? <laughs> and now suddenly, uh-oh. Oh, the model's not working. Better hire some of these guys we put out of business. Fact checkers, people deal with truth. So now Spotify apparently is going to do that, D. They're going to listen to the Joe Rogan show, and then every time he says something that isn't true, they're going to post it and say uh, they're going to put, like, this is not truth. or I don't know what they're going to put, some kind of uh, statement. So they'll put some kind of statement on it. The point is, in order, they're going to hire someone to listen to them. They got to hire someone to fact check what he says, and they got to hire somebody to write up the disclaimer or the clarification or whatever they, or the correction or whatever they call it. In other words, some journalist will get a job. So, D, I'm happy. It's a good day. And I want to thank Neil Young. If it wasn't for Neil Young, that journalist wouldn't get that job. So, there, don't trash Neil Young. Plays a stinging electric guitar. Neil Young is known as the Michael Girardi of Canada. Don't forget that. <laughs> A little twist there. Michael Girardi is known as the Neil Young of Chicago. Anyway, so uh, then there's this piece of weird news, which uh, I'm going to introduce. There's so much weird news out there today. Uh, but Jesse Sullivan, uh, a.k.a. Sully, uh, who is a, a candidate for governor and Republican side of things. I'm, I think the Ben Jarowski show is pretty much the only show that is uh, – 
really following the Republican primary uh, for Governor D. I, I could tell you that right now. Well, I mean, obviously, Rich Miller is following it. But anyway, uh, Jesse Sullivan looking to get um, some attention. Monroe Anderson's my uh, first guest, so I'm telling this to Monroe. I'm sure Monroe didn't see this. Uh, Jesse Sullivan wrote an essay for the Chicago Tribune on the editorial page right below uh, Clarence Page's column. And uh, Clarence Page, a lifelong, uh, longtime uh, writer for the Tribune's headline, Black History Month Facing Misguided Fight Over Discomfort. And right below that, tackling Illinois crime epidemic, a plan for safe streets. Jesse Sullivan weighing in on crime in Chicago. How can we solve crime in Chicago? And I, I say I'm very confident that Monroe Anderson has not seen this essay because like the overwhelming majority of people in America today, he does not read the Chicago Tribune's op-ed page. My role in life is to read this stuff so Monroe doesn't have to read it. And then I go, Monroe, did you read this? <laughs> I'm like, Monroe, did you read this column in the Tribune? He goes, no. And he gets annoyed at me. No. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't read that trash. I don't read that garbage. Now, shut up. I'm watching MSNBC. <laughs> anyway, Monroe, this one's a piece of work. Jesse Sullivan. Jesse Sullivan's a guy who grew up downstate. Then he moved off to California, made a fortune doing something with computers. Who the hell knows? Uh, and now he's come back to Illinois, the home, his home state. <laughs> he's got to deal with the whole carpetbagger thing going. You know, he made all the money in California. All his campaign contributions, or many of them come from California. But somehow or other, he's true to his home state. So he's weighing in, having experienced life from downstate and from San Francisco on crime in Chicago. And he has come to the conclusion, Monroe, that the only way to stop crime in Chicago is to recall Kim Fox. That's his suggestion. He wants to recall Kim Fox, state's attorney, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. What a piece of work is Jesse Sullivan. Somebody told me. That's, that sounds like a solution to me. <laughs> Monroe, you should be reading the Tribune. And then he writes this, this, this little chest. Well, okay, this was, I, I guarantee you that Jesse Sullivan did not write uh, this essay. I, I know you guys think I'm cynical and jaded, but I do not think any politician anywhere writes anything that comes under his or her name, that they have someone in the back room, the equivalent of Monroe Anderson uh, for Eugene Sawyer. Do you think Mayor Gene Sawyer ever wrote anything? Come on, people, don't be naive. You think your politicians actually write the stuff that they read? Or actually write the stuff that goes under their name? Maybe Obama. Maybe. But I doubt yeah. him. Maybe. Well, Big maybe. Well, pre, pre, pre-presidential. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, pre-presidential. After that, no. No. And by the way, heavy emphasis on maybe. <laughs> De- definitely didn't write the first draft. Definitely there was someone like Monroe Anderson in the back rooms who wrote the first draft, gave it to Obama, and then he added his flourish and touch which I assume is what Eugene Sawyer did to the stuff you wrote for him. No. <laughs> we just read it. <laughs> oh, God. Monroe Anderson, this guy was the most powerful, the most powerful <laughs> man in Chicago back in 1989. Monroe Anderson writing no, stuff for actually, me. I, I didn't write it either. I had a staff. <laughs> I had a staff who wrote it. <laughs> oh, that's how it goes. Right. Monroe, Monroe got hired as the speech, not speechwriter, as a communications director, and then that enabled you to hire someone. I was his spokesman. I spoke, spoke for him. I didn't write for him. <laughs> Oh, that's good. He was known as Mayor Mumbles, so it's a good thing he didn't speak for him or he didn't let him speak for himself. No, what Monroe's job was after Mayor Sawyer said something that didn't make sense, 
Monroe's job was to come out and clarify it. Well, what he what he really said was, and what you should have known was anyway, Monroe. Here, here's so in addition to uh, calling for um, uh, Kim uh, Fox to step down because you know that's going to really solve crime and in the world today because it's Kim Fox's fault. He wrote, there is a place for reform putting violent criminals safely behind bars. That is what uh, that is what they are most open to change. And we can and should be able at meeting them in this moment. Oh, wait, here we go. But we must stand firm against wrong headed attempts to politicize policing and to administratively decriminalize crime. Politicize policing. Your whole freaking column is politicizing policing and crime. Your whole thing. You're attempting to like scapegoat Kim Fox and get people who hate Kim Fox to vote for you. Anyway, Monroe, that's just some of the news out there. Your thoughts is Kim Fox. Here, this is a curveball that you didn't think was coming. Do you agree with Jesse Sullivan that Kim Fox is responsible for crime in Chicago? Go. Hey, I wrote a, a piece a year ago on Kim Fox for the tribe. I mean, a column just on the tribe. And I full-throatedly endorsed her for uh, uh, reform in the whole bail reform process. Because poor people, black people in Chicago, get arrested, can't afford bail, and can spend up to two years before they get around to having a trial. Um, I worked for, I covered um, 26 in California for the Tribune back in 78. And this was the picture. Black prisoners, white prosecutors, white cops. And it was just a a, a, a daily um, showing of that. They bring them in by the bus loads process them. I even, um, at one point, I went into one of the cells, you know, into the jail and into the cell. Uh, It was very weird. Um, That was my only time in jail. (laughs) Uh, But but anyway, I applaud what Kim and Judge Evans. Well, that hurts him to say this, ladies and gentlemen. That was this is not easy. What's about whatever's about to follow is not no, going to be easy. Right. Go ahead. That they're trying to um, change this situation now with violent criminals and people on gun gun charges. I think they should keep them there. This is my opinion on this. They say, you know, if you get caught carrying a gun, um, well. And, and even that's sort of tough because what Kim does, she grew up in Cabrini Green. And so she knows the victims um, on all sides. Um, a lot, uh, some of those kids are carrying guns for self-protection. They aren't carrying them to shoot somebody. They're carrying them to defend themselves against being shot. So even the, the crackdown on the, the kids carrying guns is tricky. But But the thing is, we have more people in prison than any other country in the world. And um, a disproportionate number of those people are poor blacks. And so something, that's what has to be done. If, if that money that they spend on imprisoning people went to better schools, 
to after school programs, um, to job creation of some sort, that would that would solve the crime problem a whole lot more than putting more black people in jail. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, you're you're talking very rationally and logically. Uh, you're talking about uh, fundamental changes that are needed uh, to prevent this wholesale violence, uh, f- f- uh, addressing the issues of poverty. And that's not what Jesse Sullivan's talking about at all. And yeah. under the guise of pretending he's taking politics out of criminal justice, he's putting politics into criminal justice by manipulating people's anger and horror at some of the most horrific crimes that have been happening. Uh, throughout the country, not just in Chicago, right. uh, and using them and firing them up uh, to impose what harsh penalties on people, not them. Do you right. follow what I'm saying? Right. Not, Monroe, them, not, their not them, yeah. not their friends. Yeah. yeah right. Just throw some black um, people in jail. Uh, and, uh, and Monroe, uh, as, as, as Richard Pryor, the old Richard Pryor joke that he told was he, he, he went down to the, uh, court system to get justice and that's what he found just us <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what he found just us uh, anyway uh, so that's jesse sullivan's and here's the other two thing i'm gonna bring it back to trump get a little trump stuff in before sergio oh and just it. just oh ben this is something that you may you probably don't know but um i have experienced serious crime on both ends and my family. My brother was murdered in 1997, my one and only brother, kid brother. And um, six months later, his 15 year old son robbed the store and killed somebody and went to prison for that, for murder. So um, I, I, I know this situation very well. Monroe, I've known you for, um... A long time. I did not know your nephew went to prison for murder. Yeah, if he was 15. He's the same age my son Scott is. He just got out of prison two or three years ago. And that's because of that ruling that you can't send a teenager you know, yeah, to, to, to prison for life because their brain isn't even. You know, and, and with my, my nephew, Derek Jr., um, he was so distraught when his, his father died at the funeral, he had to be restrained. I mean, he was just really tore up about it. And so he, 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 he goes out and does something very foolish. Um, he, he spent, uh, let's see, maybe 15, he spent more than half his life mm. in prison for that. Are you still in touch with him? Yeah, yeah. He's he lives in Indianapolis. He has a job. You know, he st- he he read books and you know he he did the Malcolm X sort of thing. Although he's not a Muslim or he's not political at all, but he he's sort of self educated. Um, you know, and, and it was well. My situation was it was a strange situation. Period. Because my brother was bipolar. And um, he went to the army to be all that he could be, and came back bipolar. Uh, and, and he he said to me that they gave him some drug 
Um, I forgot the name of the drug, but he, he claims that they gave him a drug. Since he was bipolar, I didn't know whether to take him seriously or not. But my sister later told me that he was he was in the hospital for nearly a year before the um, army notified my parents that they had him and that he should come get him. They should come get him. And they were experimenting with drugs on the soldiers. I, I, I know that. So that may that may have made him bipolar. But anyway, he was bipolar. And um, he's, he, his, his, his girlfriend was like this, this projects woman um, who had four children by him, or maybe by him. Maybe a couple weren't. We're unsure, and um, and so it was just a mess, and and so I so I I I understand these situations better than a lot of people may. Well, so when you hear a uh, a white Republican, yes. like Jesse Sullivan, right. Well, it, you hear me read to you his essay because in a million years you would never actually read his essay. So, again, my gift to Monroe. Uh, but when you hear him opining the way he is and talking about cracking out crime by firing Kim Fox and locking up more uh, black people uh, and um, things like uh, battling the whole concept of defunding the police, using it as a tool to say uh, – the Democrats are soft on crime and too tolerant. The, is there a part of you that says, yes, I agree with him when you reflect no. about? Oh. No, 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 no. There's nothing that, you know, I, I, have you ever heard of neighbor next door? There's this, there's this um, on, online grouping where they, you can join for your neighborhood and, and, uh, and other people in the neighborhood talk to each other all the time. They post things, you know, whether they're looking for, for a plumber or they had a porch pirate hit them or whatever. And they have a constant, in Lincoln Park, they have a constant uh, discussion going mm. on about oh, yeah. crime and what you, you know, every, I mean, everything that happens, they discuss it. And it's from a white Republican point of view, almost always. So I'm very familiar with the mentality. And, um, and the most articulate among the group don't like Lori Lightfoot or Kim Fox. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, um, I I struggle with all these things because on one hand, uh, politically, I realize that the Democrats have to deal with the toxicity that the Republicans are putting out in right. a political way, in a political, uh, in, a, in a campaign season, which is the last place in the world that you can have any kind of logical, rational, dispassionate discussion, analysis, and thought as to what you should do about these very serious and deep problems. So we're always trying to confront them in the middle of very emotional political campaigns in which our feelings are being stoked by commercials um, paid for by very powerful people uh, who are defending their interests, their own economic interests by, uh, 
you know, turning us against to firing us up over issues of crime. So I understand all that. On the other hand, we got to deal with it. And it, it, I'll just tell you this, Monroe, we've talked about this in the show. Sergio Mendes is about to join us. So we'll have all the Trump discussion with him as well. But I'll just tell you this. Get your thoughts. Yeah, so you know his father us- was a cop, a Chicago cop. Yes. Yeah. A lot of cops around here today. Yeah. Uh, you, you know that Arnie Duncan's getting ready to run for mayor. Yes. Uh, and he gave a speech last week. I just can't get over the iron is Arnie Duncan, Barack Obama's right-hand man, Mayor Daly's right-hand man is now going to step out and actually run for office, put his neck on the line. And he gave a speech where he said, we have to rethink policing. He said some of the same things you just said. He said, just because uh, someone in Chicago has a gun doesn't mean he is a criminal. It could be a matter of self-defense. And so we shouldn't have just this knee-jerk attitude about gun arrests. And he sounded very much like you. He said that we have to take some of the money that we spend on police and we have to use it hiring civilians to deal with mental health issues, maybe domestic violence intervention, et cetera, and so forth. Desk jobs go to civilians, et cetera, and so forth. Immediately, Mayor Lori Lightfoot went to the Republican playbook and called him soft on crime, said he's trying to he's advocating defunding the police and how dare he suggest that people under siege do with less police. Now, Monroe, how can we have any, anything resembling a, a, like a logical, civilized discussion about this stuff if even our quote-unquote progressives, and I got it in quote, but she ran yeah. as progressive, yeah. police reformers are speaking like Donald Trump. Help me out on this one. I can't help you out. <laughs> I can't because that's, that, that's BS. I mean, it really is. I mean, we need to reduce the number of people we have locked up. Um, and we need to provide opportunities where they could live a regular life. Right now, you have kids on the south and west sides of Chicago that don't expect to live to be 21. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's their mindset. They're not going to live to be 21. And so they don't value black lives, white lives, any lives, their own lives. And uh, we've got to figure out how to address that, to give these kids hope and a chance. All right. All right. Uh, Sergio Mims, uh, co-founder of uh, Black Harvest Film Festival, has joined us. Good friend of the show. Good friend of Monroe uh, Anderson and frequent guest. Uh, So, Sergio, uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, We're not going to be talking movies. We're talking politics. Uh, Sergio can talk politics all day, too, as we all know. So, Sergio, let me set you up. I know you really are dying to talk about uh, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin. Uh, who uh, the Republicans have decided is the candidate that can defeat uh, well, Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin has decided. All right, Kenny G has decided. He's got the money, so he pretty much bankrolls the Republican Party. Uh, we'll get into all that, but let me just set up uh, what Monroe and I have been talking about. And it all began, I uh, was introduced him to an essay that ran in the Tribune, the op-ed section. I had to introduce it to him because, of course, Monroe Anderson doesn't go anywhere near the Chicago Tribune. Uh, I read it for him. 
and you should be paying me for that because it's not easy to do some days. So anyway, this essay written by a guy named Jesse Sullivan, who is a downstate businessman, made a fortune in computers uh, in California, has come back to Illinois where he grew up and is running for governor. He's one of the Republican right. candidates for governor. And somehow right. or other, he convinced the Chicago Tribune, I guess, the, I guess they had, they were running short of columns yesterday to run his column where he uh, gives his plan for getting rid of crime in Chicago. And the first thing on his list is to, and I'm not making this up. This is Jesse Sullivan. Recall Kim Fox, state's attorney, Kim Fox. So his belief is that the first step toward ending crime in the city of Chicago, which has been a factor in the life in Chicago, Sergio Mims, long before Kim Fox was born, just want to point that out, let alone since Kim Fox has been the state's attorney. But he has decided. Yeah, you know, something like the, uh, what was that thing called? St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Yes. <laughs> Is he going to lay that on Kim Fox's plate? Is he going to blame her for Al Capone? So, Sergio well, Mims. Yeah, yeah. One thing I like to a point I like to make, which is really interesting, is those criminals, those white criminals of yesteryear, were heroes. You know, they they become folk folklore, think of uh, folklore. Whereas um, our run of the mill um, gangsters today are all of the scum of the earth and the worst thing could, could ever happen. Well, I, to that point, this is interesting. A dear friend of mine went to the Bulls game last night. Uh, I will not name his name. He's a retired Chicago detective. And uh, I, I, he stunned me. We were, we were having a long-ranging conversation while we were watching my beloved Bulls win. And he said he felt that Larry Hoover should be let out of prison. I almost fell out of my chair when he said that. Really? Yeah. He, he just said, you know, time is time is it's enough. He spent enough time in prison. He's he's, he's no longer a threat. He should be, I, I, Sergio, I'm like okay. Uh, but anyway, Sergio, when you hear, when you hear, uh, when you be uh, distill Jesse Sullivan's uh, comments. I'll ask you the same question I asked Monroe. Uh, your father's a police officer. You, uh, was, yeah. you live in Hyde Park your whole life. You've lived on the in south a, side in of Chicago. Mansion. In, in his mansion in Hyde Park. Yeah. Went to Kenwood High School. <laughs> uh, you've seen crime. I know uh, you've, you've, it's been around you your whole life. Anybody who lives in Chicago, it's been around them. Is there any part of you that says, yes, I really believe what Jesse Sullivan is saying is true. we got to Get rid of Kim Fox. We gotta stop being. We gotta throw uh, black people in jail who get arrested. And I don't care if they're guilty. I don't care if they're innocent. Just if they're arrested, throw them in jail. Keep them in jail. Is there any part of that message that appeals to you? Well, you know what he's doing is is, is the uh, wink of the eye to uh, potential voters, basically saying that the reason crime is so bad is because black people are in charge. That's really all what he's saying. Just like Trump the other day when he gave that speech, I forgot where, it was in Texas or someplace, he kept referring to these racist prosecutors uh, who were after him. Of course, the fact that three of them, are the three people who are after him are black women. 
See, they're racist because they're after me, a poor white guy. You know, the poor, misunderstood, misbegotten white guy. You know, everybody's against me. So that's what Jesse Sullivan is really saying. Um, he's saying that the reason why problems in Chicago are so bad is because uh, black people are in charge. That's an old line that GOP politicians have used literally for decades. Well, now, just since we got to be in charge. Before then, they weren't using it. No, what they said was, if you put them in charge, right? It'll exactly. be okay. When Harold ran in 1983, as you both remember, because you're as old enough as I am, you're old as me, so you were there. Uh, the lot Bernie Epton's campaign said there will be crime in the streets of Chicago running rampant. And the if Chicago you, police was distributing literature saying just as much in, in cartoon right, form. Right. Vote for Epton before it's too late. That was his tagline. And and one of the other points they, they would make is that um, Chicago would become Detroit. Yes. All right. So this is a perfect introduction. To but what then again, doing. you know, God forbid. This is a perfect introduction for what Sergio really wants to talk about today. And it's just absolutely perfect because right now, uh, as we said briefly, uh, Ken Griffin, the bankroll of the Republican Party, has decided apparently that uh, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin, who is a black man, it would is the best person position to to defeat uh, Pritzker in November's election, and so he wants Republicans to nominate Irvin uh, to be their candidate. And Irvin first commercial out of the box proclaimed him as a tough on crime, law and order police uh, cop and prosecutor who kept riots from destroying Aurora. And then he proclaimed all lives matter, which sends a certain message. So Monroe and Sergio, I will challenge you a little bit. Republican party will accept black leadership. If the black leadership is telling the Republican party exactly what it wants to hear. Do you agree with that point, Sergio Mims? Well, first of all, uh, when you say Republican Party, as I said before, we're talking about Ken Griffin. And Ken Griffin, of course, is supposedly the richest man in the state of Illinois. He runs the Citadel Group, um, even though the Pritzker family has more money, the family. Uh, But Griffin is the richest guy in the state. He's a big GOP donor, and he is betting his money on on uh, Irwin. Now, okay. Irving. Now, um, he he denies it. I'm talking about Griffin. Mm-hmm. Griffin denies it, but it's it's been written about. It's been talked about. It is discussed about. Illinois political has done uh, extensive reporting on it. He's the big backer behind them. Funny thing about Irving is that, you know, two years ago he was a big Black Lives Matter supporter, publicly. Now all of a sudden, it's all lives matter. Which says to me exactly what are his true political um, feelings. Does he really believe what he says in those TV commercials? I wish there are two of them already. Or is he just simply expedient? He'll go whatever, 
whoever's going to give him the money, whatever direction uh, the wind blows. If a big Democratic donor came up behind, uh, backed him, uh, would his positions change entirely? He's running on the big law and order platform. Now, in order to um, um, sort of negate any potential problems he may have running as a black candidate, particularly down south, his running mate, his <laughs> governor, his dead governor, is a big MAGA person. Yeah, a uh, and, state representative born. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And that's the idea that she at least will attract downstate vote. But he intrigues me because I really hadn't really heard of him until I started reading that he was going. He was planning to run for the GOP nomination, and which also is an interesting thing. How how many people now are running for the GOP nomination? I think it's four now, maybe five. I think it's well. Do you count Man Cow? Anyway, uh, oh, five. We don't count Man Cow, <laughs> the, okay, the radio yeah. personality who claims he's running, but I, whatever. And I think it's five. Right. So, how are they going to run against Irving? Are they going to uh, do very subtle ratio? Um, messaging here you know you don't want to vote you know vote for him and he's going to turn down state like chicago you don't know or are they going to try to be on their best behavior and try to ignore it now you sent me that article about that one guy who has called irving the devil or yeah yeah Uh, darren Uh, bailey state senator darren bailey uh in a in a babbling speech or commentary sort of suggested that uh Mayor Irvin was uh, the epitome of Satan. Go ahead. Right. Um, and also, it, it, this this uh, campaign interests me to no end. For example, does he really think he can get a significant number of black votes simply because he's black? Keep in mind that um, that's what a lot of people think, love to think, that we just automatically go vote for a black candidate no matter who they are. But there are other issues as well. We just look, it didn't work for Larry Elder, but then it's a, it was Larry Elder. <laughs> I mean, Larry my God. God. You know? Yeah. Um, so um, that's not necessarily true. Is he going to go after the black vote or is he going for the MAGA vote? I'm talking about Irving. Is he going for the white vote? Is he going to know the black vote altogether? Um this campaign is very interesting to me. I want to see how it goes. Does he have a chance to win a nomination? Well, he, if he's got the big money behind Absolutely. him. Yeah, Absolutely. He's the front runner. Right. If he got the big money behind him, yes. How's it going to fare against Pritzker? That's going to be a test. All right, because well, once again, I, we're going to have two billionaires against each other. All right. But here's the question I, w- I want uh, you to address. I'll put it to Monroe, and then you got a second chance. Okay. Uh, do you think, Monroe, yeah. that white America is ready to vote for a black Republican who says exactly what white America wants to hear? And when I say uh, white America, I mean like MAGA, not just liberals on the lakefront, you know, who vote for Tony Preckwinkle or Barack Obama or what have you. I, I think they might. I mean, if he if he's because the thing is, well, the progress that we have made in the past since the 60s is that um, white people 
started being sensitive about being called a racist. Now, Trump sort of has set that back on his, his feet a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> on his heels a little bit. But, uh, but they, he, he, they got sensitive about, they, 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 while they don't mind being racist, they don't want it to be called a racist. And, they, and, and a lot of them don't even think they are racist. And so they will vote for a guy like Irving because that will prove that they're not racist because they voted for a guy that thinks just like them or says the things that they want to hear. So I, I think that he could get um, the MAGA, a lot of the MAGA vote, especially if Trump, Trump gave him his blessing. Well, I don't think Trump's going to endorse uh, Richard Irving. I really yeah. don't. There's uh, Darren Bailey, the guy who brought Satan into the race, yeah. is m- probably if anybody gets Trump's endorsement, it would be him. Yeah, uh, he's he's t- no, out I'm now. Saying, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that he will. I'm just yeah. saying that may be a possibility. So, no, but I think he has a a, 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 a he's a, a possibility of getting the nomination. He he's not going to beat Pritzker. I don't think anybody can beat Pritzker. Because he has done, uh, uh, among the past several governors that we've had, all the way to Jim Thompson, I I would argue, he's been the best governor uh, in the state. And so there's 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 nobody can beat him. uh, He has has the money. He doesn't have to worry about that. And, um, And he's done a good job overall. Yeah, that's why I think the uh, Republicans, you you remember back this past summer when he had that um, GOP uh, at the state fair, the GOP night, GOP yeah. day at the state fair. Yeah. And they were going around King Pritzker, King Pritzker. And they go like, you know, this is ringing on deaf ears. Yeah. I What has Pritzker done that would make you... Um, to think that people are so upset with Pritzker. I agree with you. I think he's done a really great job. And and I will tell you something. Back when everybody was praising, you remember Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo? When everybody was praising Cuomo, when he's giving those long, self-indulgent press conferences about the COVID, and everybody was praising him. Oh, and I said, this is ridiculous, because the New York, the New York-centric media thought he was so great, and then until they didn't think he was. (laughs) I always felt that Pritzker did a lot, had press conferences that were a whole lot better. Yeah. I, 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 a whole lot better, and it wasn't about him. Unlike the Cuomo press interviews, he always deferred to experts. He will always tell you what the deal was and what had to be done. And I will tell people from out of state. I said, you should see what the governor of Illinois is doing, if how to handle a situation like this. I well, thought he, he did an excellent job. And listen, let me tell you this, uh, Sergio. I have a confession to make. I'm really embarrassed to make it, but. I have to be truthful, okay? There was about a two-week period, maybe two weeks, where I was falling under the Cuomo influence. Uh, you, you, you became a Cuomo sexual, <laughs> as they call them? <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and now that word has other meanings. Uh, yeah, it does. No, I, I don't know if I went that far, but I, because Cuomo to me was always like New York's ROM, and I never liked the guy at all. 
and I watched from afar play the same games uh, that Rom does, like waging war against the left uh, in order to win over the middle, which is one-on-one of Clinton and Rom and Obama. Not so much Obama, but Clinton and Rom definitely. Anyway, so but then I was the middle of the pandemic. He would do. I'm like, oh, you know, why doesn't he run for president? And then about two oh. weeks later, I came to my senses. But I gotta say it, the influence was. I was. I blame it on Monroe because he was introducing me to MSNBC. And I, I always blame things on. MSNBC. Oh, I stopped watching that network a long time ago. I can't stand anybody on that network. Uh-oh, Monroe. Uh, oh, Monroe. Oh, yeah. oh. By the way, you you heard the news about. Um, Jeff Zucker, right? Yes, uh, Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, had to step down. I just, I don't, I wasn't, uh, I don't know if Monroe uh, has read that, but he stepped down because he, he was pairing, having a, a relationship, a romantic relationship with one of his colleagues at CNN. And not having really studied it, I'm not sure I understand what's wrong with this situation. Two adults are having a relationship. Is, is he married? Neither, they're both divorced. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, no, it's that, you know, it, well, you, well, you leave it to liberals to go too far. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> let, me, let me ask a question. Let me ask a yeah. question. Going go back to the, going back to the election. By the way, speaking of Ram, I hope he have, I hope he's having a nice time in Tokyo. The farther he is from Chicago, <laughs> the happier I am. Just stay away. That's now, the, Monroe position. the thing about uh, the, what's going on is that this may sound like a really naive question. Okay. My going to ask it anyway. The black vote doesn't, nobody, the black vote, I guess, is not that important anymore, is it? And the reason I say that is because um, it seems that um, politicians, whether the Democrats or Republicans, um, they don't seem to be aggressively going after the black vote like they used to. It seems that have we lost our power, our cachet in the world of politics? I'm just wondering. I'm just asking questions, as they say. Well, I'll, I'll put this out there to your point. What does it mean to go after the black vote? So the Republicans would tell you, we're going after the black vote by putting all our money behind a black man named Richard Irvin, who's a cop and a prosecutor and mayor of uh, Aurora, who says things like all lives matter. So they would say, we're going after the black vote. It's not a monolith. There's a lot of people out there who quietly agree with us. What are they? They always call that a silent majority agrees with us. And so they would say they are going after uh, the black vote. Joe Biden would say he's going after the black vote by promising to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. So Monroe Anderson, what's your thoughts about this? Uh, is Sergio right or uh, are politicians actually going after the black vote, just doing it in ways uh, well, it depends on where you are and who you are. I mean, um, obviously Biden is going after it, but he, he is beholden to the black vote. He would not be president if it weren't for the black vote. And this is why we, the next Supreme Court justice will be a black woman. No, no question about that. Um, the Republicans... Uh, uh, periodically, when, when it's to their advantage, will uh, find some black champion to represent them uh, who says, who, who talks the talk and walks the walk of a, a white Republican. I mean, they would never, ever uh, choose um, a candidate 
who was black and concerned about black people itself and identified with being black. They always managed to basically find a self-hater. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Richard, uh, well, I don't believe Richard Rivers is as bad as Larry Elder. So I'll just kind of throw no, that out. Larry Elder is a shock that's, jock. You know, that's I mean, he's what? a shock jock. Shock, shock jock. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's just, he's just, he's in it for the money, period. Uh, um, Ir- Ir- Irving is in it for the money, too, but in a different way. And the money as in campaign contributions yeah, to fund right, exactly. All right. Uh, I gave Monroe an assignment, and uh, I don't know if he uh, completed the assignment. I think I may have sent this to you as well, uh, Sergio. It was an essay no. in The New Yorker. I didn't send it to you. Anyway, it was an essay in The New Yorker about a political scientist named Adolf Reed. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, yes, he's you did. A, a Marxist. He's been around forever. I'm, I admit I'm a fan of Adolf Reed. I've been reading him in the nation going back to the 80s. Uh, and he's uh, created quite a dust-up on the left uh, because it's his position uh, that race is uh, over-exaggerated by the left, uh, that we should focus on class as a significant issue in the country today. Uh, and he's been very critical of uh, every people like uh, uh, Michael Eric Dyson and even Conrad uh, uh, West, uh, and um, Cornell West, Cornell, my bad, Cornell uh, West. Thank you. And um, and so I sent this uh, essay to Monroe to get his thoughts on it. In other words, ha- have we put too much emphasis on race? Are we, as Adolf Reed suggests, uh, beyond race? Is class the great significant factor? No, no. <laughs> okay, take it away, Monroe, with your response. No, no. First of all. Uh, being a Marxist is so outdated. You know, the, 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 the black people were Marxists back in the 40s, some of, some of them, for, because they were falling for the um, communist BS about how we, we, we realize that you folks are um, being discriminated against in America and you will have equality among us. And... Um, Later, we learned that that was not true. For example, in communist Cuba, they discriminated against the black Cubans. The black Cubans were discriminated against there. Um, The country was run by white uh, Cubans, those that didn't leave the country to go to Miami to discriminate against black folks there. Um, It's... and and the other thing is that that um, obviously Reed is missing is that even the communists are trying to be capitalists now. Even the communists, what did you say? Trying to be capitalists. Mm. You know, I mean, they 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 are they are they are authoritarian for sure. I mean, they want to be in control, but um, they've given up this whole uh, class thing. That's not even in the rhetoric. It's not in the rhetoric in China. It's not in the rhetoric in Russia. Um, I can't think of a a, a communist country where they're talking about um, for for the 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 people as in enriching their lives. 
they they have this false populism that they they do but it, uh, everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants to lead the less life. In fact, I, I, I was reading a piece a couple of days ago about in London. It's um, full of um, Russian rich people. <laughs> I mean, that's their playground. <laughs> they go hang out in London and live and live the really luxurious life. And, and, and they're, in, of course, they're in Russia also doing that. So it's um, so you don't think that uh, we put too much emphasis on race and not enough emphasis on class. You don't think it'd be a you know more of a unification. It'd be easier to reach out uh, to disaffected white people, as Adolf Reed is suggesting, if we and disaffected black people if we put less concentration on uh, race and more cl- uh, concentration. What, on class. The, the one thing that poor white people have going from for them in their minds is that they're not black. And so, so you're not going to reach them. I mean, all these MAGA people, it'd be the reason you have these MAGA people and what they're doing is um, because they are threatened with not being in the minority, uh, the majority anymore. And so they 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 won't even have that symbol mm. uh, of being white and, and how important that is. Sergio. Well, um, Moreau is right. First of all, let me just say that I'm not a fan of, you know, Dyson or Mark Lamont Hill or Jamel Hill, all these so-called what I call Negro whisperers for the media. Um I'm not fans of these people. Um, and talking about being a Marxist, you know, like um, Patrice Cullors, who was head of the Black Lives Matter organization, the same Patrice Cullors who spent three and a half million dollars on four homes. Uh, the same Patrice Cullors who now just recently revealed uh, siphoned millions of dollars to a uh, Canadian charity that was run by by her wife, that Patrice Cullis, that Marxist. It's 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 all BS. It's hypocrisy. I think that thing Moreau is right. That thing is sort of dated. Well, wait, time out. But you lumped the first people you lumped in would be the kind of people. Uh, that Adolf Free would be criticizing, has criticized. That was him criticizing. Yeah, I, 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 he's a Marxist. Then he started criticizing Marxists. So Adolf yeah. Free is a Marxist who criticizes the Dysons of the world. I don't think he's ever uh, commented on Jamil Hill, but I have, so I, I have no idea what his okay, thoughts are. Let, let, let me explain it to you, Ben. Reed is a contrarian. Sergio is a contrarian. They just have different contraries. <laughs> well, I was just trying to understand where he was coming from on that riff. It was a good riff. And I'm like, where are you going with this thing? Exactly. He's going contrary. No, Reed, Reed is one of those old-fashioned... Um, Marxist Cobbies. Yeah, what's her, what, oh gosh, what's her name? You know, Angela uh, with Davis. Afro. Um, Angela Davis. 
Angela Davis, right. I can read he's your one, mind. Right, <laughs> Go ahead. He's, he's one of those big Angela, you know, Angela Davis, leftist Marxist from the 1960s. That sort of stuff was cutting edge back then. It's not anymore. And if he has to show us where, show me where this policy, where your, where your beliefs actually worked for black people. Show us where it worked. Okay, I'm going to defend Adolf Reed at just this point, or just make this point. He's not a member of the Communist Angela Davis ran for office as a, mem- uh, as a member of the Communist Party on the Communist Party ticket. She is a communist. She doesn't run from it. I'm, not, I'm just stating this is what she, Angela Davis is. Adolf Reed is a Marxist scholar. It's a big difference between a member of the Communist Party or a person who's affiliated with the Communist Party and a Marxist scholar. Just making that distinction here of my beloved left. Go ahead, Monroe. Okay, so he doesn't have the card, but he, but he, has, he still has the pitch. You know, so. well, uh, but, you know no, they have this whole, they have this whole point of view where um, communism is good, capitalism is bad. You know, and 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 and, I, and I've said this on your show before that I think communism or Marxism or whatever they want to call it has its usefulness in that um, something needs to put capitalism in check. Ca- capitalism run wild is a, not a good thing. So uh, when when the the capitalists have gone too far in the past, the communists would po- point it out how horrible it was, and they were pulled back. Well, to your point. Now China is trying to be a capitalist country, and Russia is a capitalist country. Russia hasn't been communist since the Soviet Union fell uh, in the 89-90. But let me just point out, capitalism needs to be in check. This story, I think the most important story in the paper today that I saw was in the business section of the New York Times. uh, And it has to do with the $800 billion paycheck protection program. New analysis found, follows on me and Sergio Monroe, that only about a quarter of the money spent by the program paid wages that would otherwise been lost, partly because the government steadily loosened the rules for how businesses could use the money. Uh, as the pem- pandemic dragged on. And because many businesses remain healthy enough to survive without the program, another analysis found the looser rules meant the Paycheck Protection Program ended up sus- subsidizing business owners more than their workers. Right. So right. I just want to point that out. No, that Kanye West got some of that money. Dean's yeah. not the only one. And, yeah. and, and that's my point. It's like, right. if you just... You think capitalism is just a solution? And I know you don't think this, Monroe, but right. if you just think capitalism isn't just a solution, you're not going to listen to Adolf Reed. You're not going to listen to Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky's. You're just going to get robbed uh, every or, day. Or are you going to rob somebody? Or are you going to rob somebody? You're going to pick somebody's pocket. One or the other. But no, the, the thing, the problem with that program was they were so anxious so much in a hurry to get that money out there that they didn't have any checks and balances on it. So it was like, ah, free money. Thanks. I'll take it. I'll well, it's it. trickled down. Everything is trickled down in this country. That's effectively, if you give uh, a billionaire a tax break, 
they'll make sure a little trickle gets down to everybody else. And they call that effective government. That's our, our system. How are we any different here in the city of Chicago? That's what well, daily. So, okay, okay, Ben, this is what you have to consider. Uh, you have this money. Who would you rather go to um, Procter and Gamble or welfare queen? <laughs> And that's the choices they they tell us that we have. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, if you put it that way, I give, give it to the welfare queen. All right, Serge, you haven't weighed on. Go ahead, no, your thoughts. And, um, <laughs> look, it's a it's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. Capitalism. Oh gosh, here I go. Capitalism always essentially is a rigged game. And so um, there are people who know how to play the game very well or know how to take advantage of it very well. How many people who got those PPP loans, what do they call How many of those people turned out and spent it on themselves, spent it on cars? There are countless stories of people who gained the system. That's what capitalism does. That's what it's designed to do, to take advantage of people and people in the know who know how to play the game, how they can use it to benefit themselves, not other people. All right. I I guess you you have a little more sympathy toward Adolf Free than you will admit. All right. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know about that. Um, all right, I am um, going. By to the way, can I say something about uh, about uh, um, oh gosh, Duncan Arn Duncan? Go ahead. Um, because hey, there's rumblings that he's going to run for mayor. Yes, we talked about this earlier. Go ahead. Right, I, I, I came in on the tail end of that. Um, I'm not sure. Funny, I was talking to a friend of mine a few days ago, and I told her about Duncan and find to run. And she liked that idea. She said, Oh, I, you know, I, I would vote for him. I'm not sure how he would, how he would run a campaign because here's the problem in Chicago. Uh, let's be blunt in Chicago, even though we may criticize them, even though we have a problem with them, we like assholes as mayor. You know, that's what we like in Chicago. We like tough people as mayor. I think the years, the 20 years or so, when uh, old man Daly was mayor of Chicago, in a way, spoiled us. And I think that we always had this feeling that's the way mayor. Harold Washington was not an asshole. He was tough, though. That was the thing. Is he, yeah, but he, he was, was tough. tough. He stood and fought. No, he, was no. he was the exception to the rule, though. He was, he was the exception. Yeah, but he was never elected by the people. Yeah, right. And he was okay. too soft. Yeah. No, yeah. No. And he was elected by all of them who thought they could push him around. Go ahead, Sergio. Right. Harold Washington was very tough. Don't be misled. Right. He was very tough. Right. Right. Now he had a different approach. He wasn't uh, openly a jerk as, say, a Rom. Or even a Lori Lightfoot. But he was tough. And when I say asshole, maybe that's the wrong word. But we like guys, who people who could push things around, push people around. Bullies. Bullies. That's the word I'm looking for, really. We like bullies as mayor. Our Duncan is not a, well, I don't get the feeling he's a bully. 
And he's no, going to have I, trouble. Arnie, Arnie Duncan is actually pretty nice. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. That's right. the problem. We don't like nice people. That's the main reason why Rahm Emanuel won in the first place. It really was because he was Obama's guy. We People voted for Rahm Emanuel because he looked like a bully, a jerk who could get things done, like at that time, Mike Bloomberg in New York. You know, people went for Lori Lightfoot because Lori Lightfoot looked like a humorless, or did, a humorous, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like just this humorous dour lawyer. Yes, yeah, she's a humorless corporate lawyer. Right. Who well, so was Pertwinkle. But Lightfoot, even more so. But the problem with Pertwinkle, she had that association with Edward. Yeah. Yeah, she, but listen, but you're absolutely right. I've been saying it for years. Uh, Sergio, you're, I couldn't agree with you more. Chicago is a, uh, the people who live in Chicago. I'll say it because I'm not from you here. I've watched you. You're very weird. Uh, you have. <laughs> You have this admiration and adoration uh, for bullies. You like yeah. it when uh, you have this obsession with getting revenge, uh, and then you you act startled when we see the carnage in the streets of Chicago when mm-hmm. someone is somebody else and they take it out with a gun. Your political figures that you uh, you elect time and time again do this all the time. The retaliation culture is so alive in Chicago; uh, it's so prevalent. The attitude in Chicago: you punch me, I'll punch you three times. That is such a Chicago attitude. So yeah. I'm with you 100%. I look at Chicago and I, even the whole thinking about dibs. Just think about how we like we we, we like the, the notion, which is this preposterous Chicago notion that like if you dig out your the, the space in front of your house, you could claim it and it's dibs. And then Chicago's obsessed with dibs. You put chairs out and stuff. Wait, by the way, can I raise my hand? I've been guilty of that. Well, <laughs> I have done that. It's okay, but I'm I'm not saying that putting a chair out is uh, (laughs) is so bad. I'm saying just this notion. Because I spent all this time digging out this space for my car. I'll be goddamn that somebody's going to take it. (laughs) This is my space. Hey, I I never for this, Sergio. You were born and raised in the city of Chicago, and right now you sound like it. (laughs) Yeah. You are Chicago bread. We, we, we didn't do dibs and Gary. <laughs> what did you guys do in Gary? Yeah, you get the same snow in Gary. Right. So what yeah, but, but, but no, but I had to out this thing. Like right now, <laughs> all I'm thinking about is my car outside right now. You know, my whole day is ruined. Because yeah. I had an appointment this morning I couldn't do. I had something originally planned for it tonight that I, I can't go to. So I'm stuck here in the house. Yeah. Okay. And all I can think about is that my car, I'm going to have to dig it out. No, I'm with I'm you. Dig out yeah, my yeah, car. Exactly. You, you, want know, you, you want to know the secret to that, Sergio? What? Get a car with four-wheel drive. <laughs> I have a car with four-wheel drive. Oh, I'm still you... going to have to. I get an XUV with four-wheel drive. I'm still going to have to dig, it, to dig it out. Unless it's, it's four, inches, four feet of snow or something. Uh, all right, guys. I'm going to close it down with a Trump thing. And I've been saving this for Monroe all day. I read it yesterday on the show. And uh, I, this this is so extraordinary. I took a picture of it. 
I'm keeping pretty much every guest is going to get this. So Sergio, you're going to get this as well. Uh-huh. This is from an article that ran in the New York Times, uh, th- I say yesterday, about Trump's rally. Or maybe it was Monday. I can't remember. Uh, it was about Trump's rally this weekend in Texas, which was so bizarre, even for Donald Trump. We, we talked about it a lot yesterday in the show, the fallout, the political fallout for that rally uh, and, and the divisions that that rally revealed that are in MAGA right now between the real MAGA MAGAs and the MAGA light. Yeah, right. Uh, the rhinos. Yeah. Uh, but they're still MAGA because they're showing up to Trump rallies. Anyway, yeah. so let me just read you this about a Trumpster named Jennifer who has, quote, we the people tattooed on her arm. She got to the Trump rally, her sixth. You hear that, Monroe? This is her sixth Trump rally. Okay. She got to the Trump rally days in advance. Monroe sleeping in her truck to be among the first in line. She slept for days in her trunk. Trump <laughs> I can't even say it to be first in line among the first in line to get into this rally. She said she believed Mr. Trump was quote sent by God to yeah. save this country. Right. End quote. Still right. she disagrees with him on the vaccine quote. I don't think he should be promoting it at all. I've had COVID and I've had the flu and the flu is much worse. End of quote. I'm like, how, how have we sunk so low Monroe Anderson? This lady thinks God Trump was this grifter, this lifelong grifter was sent to earth to save her. Monroe Anderson, I think it's all hopeless in this country. If like this is a predominant thought among forty percent of the electorate, help me out here. What what did PT Barnum say? There's a sucker born every every minute. No, first of all, there've always always been people like this. This is not new. There've always been people like this. you know, a lot of it is lack of education. A lot of it is mental illness. I'm not being facetious. I'm, I'm not. I think there's a lot of mental illness that's going around untreated. The other thing is that, and hear me out, when I say Trump is a genius in a way, okay, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he was. I mean, mentally brilliant. What I'm saying is this: he by purposely or by accident, stumbled into something, which is this. Um, Stuart Stevens said, who was the former, you know, Republican strategist, who's now a never-Trumper and part of the Lincoln group. He said, Stuart Stevens says, you know when you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off and you cuss out that person? Trump said to people, that's your better self. That's really who you are. You know, you're not, you're a terrible person. You're you're an asshole. You're a jerk. And I am too, and you should be proud of being one. And a lot of people said, yeah, I'm tired of being good. I want to be who I really am. I'm a terrible person. (laughs) Wow. I don't like this. And the thing is that what also Trump, okay, if you're running for office, you're running for office. What's the first thing you have to do? Get elected. No, no, no. But how do you get elected? Uh, well, I don't know where okay. you're going with this. So okay. just yeah, I think I think going. Simple. 
You tell people how their lives are going to be better once you're in office. That's what you do as a politician. Okay, that's what Trump did to white people, particularly white men. That's what he told him. When I am in office, your life is going to be a whole lot better. And people cling to that. They look around and they see um, the more black people where they used to be. You you get a Wheaties box. There's, you know, you can't remember the last time you saw a white person on the cover of of a Wheaties box. Uh, you go look on TV, you see all these interracial couples on TV commercials. You turn around and you go like, what's happening? What's, what's going on? The world that I knew, which was this all-white safe world, the world that I knew is disappearing. It's collapsing around me. And Trump said, uh, I'm going to bring that back. That's what he said. I'm going to bring that back. I'm going to make America great again. Mm. In other words, I'm going to make America like it was in 1951. And there are people who are still clinging on to that, which is why they go to his rallies. And God knows how much money these grifters are making yeah. off all these suckers. I mean, there was just an article in the New York Times Sunday about these Trump coins. Yeah. That people are buying, which are, from what I understand, um, being sold by Romanians, but they're made in China. And uh, people are spending money buying these worthless coins. They are mainly iron. There's no precious metals in them because they're suckers born every minute. And you will think that they will wake up and realize they're being fleeced. But they don't. Well, the problem is that the suckers uh, control the system. And this is uh, Monroe. I, I get nervous uh, and a little anxious about our political system when I realize how close we came. And we, you and I have talked about this so much uh, to essentially having a coup in November. And wow. right now, the suckers are pushing the Republicans away from fully acknowledging the depths of the the challenges we faced, uh, the depths of what Trump tried to do when he called those board of election commissioners in Georgia, in Michigan, and tried to get them to flip votes uh, his way. So I, I get a little nervous when I see Trump so blatantly exploiting I don't know if, I mean, maybe you're right, uh, Sergio, maybe it's mental illness. I don't know. But the passions of people like this woman who drove down and stayed in her truck for days to see Donald Trump, one of the greatest grifters of our time. And that, that gives, but you know, but that's racism again. That's, 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 that's what is in fact driving them, you know, getting back to where we started in the beginning with Reed talking about racism is not that important. It's classism. It's not classism, it's racism. And Trump is the great white hope. Yeah. Wow. All right. He's still uh, gonna somehow, somehow, he's still going to save us. He is yeah. going to save us. He's going to bring it back to the way it was, which it never was. But, he, you know, it, it, there's this story that, oh, gosh, what's his name? Tom Nichols says. And Tom Nichols grew up... Um, in this uh, eastern Massachusetts factory town. And he was talking to a friend of his who grew up in the same town. And his friend said, you remember back when we were growing up as kids and, you know, men um, 
we'll leave your wives. I mean, in the morning, we'll leave home and worked in the factories and it was a good time. And Nichols, and Nichols said, I looked at this guy. He said, what are you talking about? When we were kids, we were throwing rocks through the windows of those abandoned factories because yeah. they had left. What is this false nostalgia you have in your mind that never existed? Uh, listen, man, I it, that that's a good point, and I've, a lot of people have that false nostalgia. I a lot of Chicagoans have it. They go, "What?" Like, I remember. You, like, why aren't you mad yeah. at, at at these people who are exploiting you? All these corporate owners who are exploiting you? No, you're mad at the guy down the street because he's got a new Lexus, and you're still driving a three year old. Uh, hunt, uh, Nissan, but you're mad at that guy down yeah. the street. All right, that's as good a spot to end it because, in your own way, uh, you're affirming the message that Adolf Reed is sending out. So, I'm going to close okay, it down so with the affirmation of Adolf Reed. Okay, yeah, affirming what part of Reed? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm coming out hey, of the club. By the way. I'm, I'm a classic Marxist, okay? I, I, yeah, you are. That was a very Marxist uh, refrain, but I have to say this. The Adolf, we didn't even get a chance to talk about this. We'll probably talk about it next week, Monroe. The Adolf Reed uh, essay I read, which I sent to you and Sergio, came out minutes or like an hour before the Brian Flores uh, articles hit about the coach of the Miami Dolphins, a black man who got fired and filed a lawsuit. And if I'm just saying, Adolf Reed, if you think racism is dead in America, read Brian Flores' lawsuit. Uh, Get a second opinion. We'll talk about that next week. All right, Monroe Anderson uh, and Sergio Mims, thank you very much. Uh, Got to get out of here and get over to the dentist, get my teeth cleaned. I'm going to battle through the snow. Today on a day like this? I did. <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, <laughs> what is right here? Are you nuts? <laughs> Sergio will come dig your car out for me. <laughs> I won't be driving, guys. I'll be walking. I mean, I, there's no way that car is. walking this. Yeah. I got to go. They haven't sent me the text saying it's not there. So right, they're I, canceling. I'm going tomorrow. So. Yeah, at least you uh, won't have as much snow to deal with as I do. All right, Monroe Anderson, the legendary Monroe Anderson and the great Sergio Mims. Uh, thank you very much uh, for being on the show today. A great conversation. Also, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. Yeah, and hey, Sergio- Dennis. I haven't said hello to Dennis. Hey, Dennis. How you doing? Yes. Sorry. Dr. Uh, D. Sorry. Dr. D. And as... Uh, Sergio Mims, Monroe Anderson, and Adolph Reed. Adolph Reed would agree. Uh, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. The D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right.